it's not a one and done. It's it's like exercise. You just kind of keep at it. When you start feeling bad about yourself because you're not as good as the other mother, as the other business person, it's not a comparison. Yeah. You know, you, you know, your self-esteem isn't, you know, about how good a meal you cooked or how perfect your house is or how successful your business is. I mean, it's I know that's easy to say, but I'm sure we all know people, including ourselves. And it's like, oh my gosh, I don't measure up. I'm not as good. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, the companies, and the small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I sit down with an entrepreneur, a CEO, a nonprofit director, community leader, or you know what? Just an incredible person who is changing the world by what they do for a living. My goal with this show is that you leave every single episode knowing that no matter where you are, no matter what you do, you can make a difference. You can make a difference in this world. My guest this week is Warwick Fairfax. He is the founder of Crucible Leadership, a philosophical and practical breakthrough in turning business and personal failures into the fuel for igniting a life of significance. At the age of 26, as the fifth generation heir to a media empire bearing his family name in Australia, he led and lost a multi-billion dollar public takeover bid. And the result? The company founded by his great-great-grandfather slipped from family control after 150 years, leaving him to examine not only his own shortcomings and losses, but also his life's principles and the lessons he learned from family members who came before him and some of history's greatest leaders. He is the author of Crucible Leadership, Embrace Your Trials to Lead a Life of Significance. This book came out this month and it is incredible. It discusses for the first time his thoughts and actions in launching the John Fairfax Limited Takeover and explains what he learned about himself from that devastating failure. I absolutely loved this conversation with Warwick. He is brilliant and so honest and transparent about what was a very public uh, failure in many ways uh, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And he is just absolutely incredible. You are going to love him and learn so much from this conversation. But before we get to my conversation with Warwick, I want to thank a partner of the show, and that is Mama Suds. Now, I have been talking about Mama Suds for months and months and months. Michelle Smith, the head mama at Mama Suds, has been on this podcast. She's fabulous. I just adore her. And she is a genius. Mama Suds creates home products, cleaning products that are plant-based and effective. So are you ready to ditch bleach forever? But you have just been struggling to find a bleach alternative that actually works? Well, the new extra strength oxygen powder by Mama Studs is phenomenal. As you know, here on the farm, like we we get messy, okay? It gets messy around here on the farm and you know, our clothes get dirty and we get sweaty and we're outside and yeah, let's just say laundry is a mess in our house and I have been using the oxygen powder for a few months now and it is fantastic. So I just plop a little scoop right there in the drum of the washer. It works as a laundry booster, a stain remover, but because Michelle is a genius, it also works as a great scouring agent on any non-porous surface when you're cleaning. So head on over to mamasuds.com. Use the coupon code Molly, that's M-O-L-L-Y, to get an extra 15% off of your purchase. All right, without further ado, on to my conversation with Warwick. 
work. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Molly. Uh, great to be here. I uh, I have had a few guests from that are originally from Australia or even have recorded from Australia. Um, and so I'm just going to just come out right out and say uh, the Australian accent is one of my favorites. So I already know <laughs> that I'm going to enjoy our conversation just for the pure, um, the auditory uh, therapy that it will provide. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, and so funny. I have a listener who is from Australia. Uh, shout out to uh, Sarah Ann. And she said that she was listening to her to one of my episodes one day in her house. And her husband was like, how do you listen to that? They have the most awkward accents. <laughs> and I just loved that her husband was was uh, horrified by my accent. So <laughs> Yeah. And you're probably saying, uh, I have the most awkward accent. I really? What? I've huh? some of you folks. I didn't know I had an accent. <laughs> um, well, Warwick, I'm so excited for you to be here. I'm just really uh, just eager to learn more about you and the the reading that I've done about you and all of that. Uh, it just I'm fascinated by your story. So give us the Warwick 101. So tell us who you are, yeah. what you do and how you got to where you are today. Well, yeah. Well, thanks again, Molly. Um, yeah. So what I do, uh, I have a I guess a brand, uh, Crucible Leadership. I've got a book coming out in October, and it's all about how to uh, get beyond what we call crucible experiences, setbacks, and failures to lead a life of significance, which we term a life on purpose dedicated to serving others. So I've got all that going on uh, podcast, blog, social media. But kind of where I got to that is um, that you mentioned, you know, some Aussies. Uh, I'm a little different in the sense that I grew up in a very wealthy, privileged background in Australia, which is, you know, different than most Aussies, I guess. And so that's really the backstory in the sense that I grew up in this 150-year-old family media business started by my great-great-grandfather, a person of uh, great faith and, uh, you know, wonderful husband, father, employer, It really did everything right and sort of a role model in a lot of ways. Uh, anyway, as the company uh, grew, it uh, came to have newspapers, TV, radio stations, magazines. It ha had the Australian equivalent of the New York Times, Washington Post, and Wall Street Journal of our country. So incredibly influential. And so uh, as I was growing up, there was this sense that uh, the company had maybe strayed from the ideals of the founder, wasn't being well managed. Uh, my father died in early 87. And I was 26 at the time. And so my whole upbringing, my parents and certainly my father felt that I was the heir apparent and, you know, being groomed to take a leading position. And it's funny, you know, some kids from wealthy backgrounds, they rebel and they don't study hard, they party. I kind of went the other direction. I was very diligent, worked very hard, always did well in, in high school, did my undergrad at Oxford, like my dad and some other relatives, worked on Wall Street got my MBA at Harvard Business School. So I was like full on uh, trying to live up to my family's expectations and my parents. So um, as I mentioned, because certainly my parents felt like the company wasn't being well managed, wasn't being run along the ideals of the founder. In 87, I launched a $2.25 billion takeover. Mm. And, uh, you know, for the reasons I mentioned, and things, you know, really went wrong right from the start. And we ended up having too much debt by the end of the year. And then three years later, when Australia got in a big recession, newspapers are very cyclical, the company went under. So by the time I was like 30 in 1990, it felt like I'd lived a, a few lifetimes and that, um, you know, my whole goal was to try to, you know, prevent the company from taking over by others, have it be well managed. 
bring it back to the ideals of the founder and what I did directly contributed to it falling. So, um, yeah, that was obviously uh, devastating. And so a lot of the 90s was, well, you know, and obviously your podcast is all about purpose. It was like, well, what's my purpose now? Yeah. I was sort of like adrift. Uh, basically, the challenge was I was living somebody else's purpose. You know, mm. really not even my dad's, the founder. You know, life can be tricky because I'm a person of faith too, which came through an Anglican church at Oxford. And so since the founder was a person of faith, it's like, well, must be sort of God or the universe's intention for me to in, be in some ways taking a leading position. And, you know, obviously, uh, if that was true, maybe it would have worked out despite my mistakes and poor assumptions. So that's really the, believe it or not, the highlight version of what happened. And yeah. there's a whole story about how I clawed my way back in terms of self-esteem and all. But yeah, it was a lot of kids grow up thinking, okay, what will I do in life? That was an irrelevant question. It was almost like the royal family. You know, they don't yeah. grow up saying Prince William doesn't think, gee, what am I going to do in life? Right. He knows. Yeah. And if he doesn't do it, he's going to devastate his grandmother and dad and, you know, all that yeah. deal. Yeah, you brought up so many great points, just how, you know, from, you know, from the outside looking in, when you look at your life and your childhood, you know, growing up in a wealthy family, and you, you know, your family is just this dominant media force in Australia, and you're kind of poised for success. I mean, Oxford, Harvard, you know, just like all right. these different things that it's just like right. this resume that it's like you could do anything right. you want. And so, But you're in so many ways pigeonholed into right. doing this one thing, whether or not you really wanted to. Um, and you, you alluded to the company, you know, is obviously this very old media company, and you alluded to the the company had kind of strayed from the ideals of its founding. And what for, especially maybe for people that one didn't grow up in Australia and maybe aren't familiar with it. But like, what what does that mean? What were the ideals that maybe the company was founded on that it kind of had strayed from? Yeah, I mean, I think media can become more sensational over time. But um, yeah, you, know, the, you can say that the, again. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of polarized. Not Yeah, I mean. When John Fairfax, my great-great-grandfather, bought the, the paper in 1841, its original masthead was, may Whigs call me Tory and Tory call me Whig, which in modern language means may liberal call me conservative, conservative call me liberal. Mm. It always sought to be an independent paper to you know, promote the interest of the colony of Australia that then was. And so it wasn't, it was never meant to be a party paper. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the founder had a tremendous uh, amount of humility and, uh, you know, employ employees loved him. And um, so, I mean, I think the, uh, you know, my family always had this sense of mission, uh, you know, serving the country and all, but, um, you know, I mean, it, it's not quite as simple as this, but sometimes when money and power increases, faith, at least from, a, from my perspective, a Christ-centered sense is not quite in the forefront. Again, they weren't so much bad people, but a lot of money and influence and prestige, it, um, it, it can sort of change people's perspective. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of backstory, but there's a lot of family infighting, some other family members shoot my dad out as chairman 11 years before my takeover in 76. So they had their reasons, I guess, at age 15 at the time, I didn't quite see it. I just felt like, how could they do this to my dad? So there's all sorts of backstory. Uh, but 
Yeah, I mean that that was it was part of that, you know, and also just some management decisions that I thought were not uh, not very sensible. So it was a variety of, uh, of factors, but uh, and yeah. you know whether my analysis was right is a whole other discussion. Yeah, but that's what, but that's what I was thinking. Sometimes you have this image in your mind yeah. about you know you got different sides, and I was hearing my parents' version of history and the other side. What did they do to my dad? And so. There might be another perspective that I didn't fully appreciate, but yeah, that's kind of a bit of the backstory. Yeah. And so you took over the company and as you shared, I mean, pretty quickly things went south and it was obviously, especially when it's a media company, pretty public. Um, What was that like for you at that time to walk through something that was a very public in a lot of ways, you know, kind of... It kind of hitting rock bottom. Yeah, I mean, it was brutal. I mean, the the funny thing is, I'm basically a reserved person that doesn't like to be in the limelight. So this was sort of your <laughs> so worst nightmare. So yeah, own, own a media company. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, definitely what those people should and, do. And so you know, there were you know uh, editorial cartoons, which trust me, you never want to have an editorial cartoon done of you because it's never favorable. There were things that showed me like this Mongol raider, you know young Genghis Fairfax destroyed in a day what took 150 years to build and with his corporate raiders. I mean, they were just, you know, how do you, how do you start a a small business, give Warwick Fairfax a big one? I mean, there was some, some brutal uh, cartoons. So, you know, it was, um, it was tough. I mean, because I felt like, you know, my mission in life was to resurrect the company, the ideals of the founder. And I ended up, it's still going on, but not on family hands. So yeah, it was, it was, you know, with the day that the company went under, um, I was married at the time. In fact, my wife's American who I met in Australia and, um, she was going out to do an errand from our house, which was just some modest, modest house in the suburbs. And there were three TV networks camped on the lawn, mm. the equivalent of ABC, CBS, you know, or CNN, Fox, MSNBC, you know, whatever you want to pick. But it was like, hmm, maybe I'll do those errands another day. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm yeah. not going outside here. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was very prominent and uh, devastating. And um, not so much just a public humiliation, but more the sense I let my parents down mm. and my ancestor. And uh, yeah, that was God in some cosmic sense. Yeah, that was, it was crushing on a lot of different levels. Yeah. And so over the next, you know, Gosh, it's so funny when you talk about like the late 80s, which I was born in the mid 80s. Um, But like, I'm like, I don't feel like I'm, you know, pushing 40. But I'm like, wow, that was was like over 35 years ago. Um, So, you know, now that you've had 30 to 35 years to kind of process this, what are some of the things that you did over the last, you know, couple of decades to you know, kind of rebuild and to discover, as you said, your true purpose. And, you know, we talked about how so much of what you did was kind of thrust upon you in a lot of ways. You didn't really Mm -hmm. like, I love the comparison to (laughs) Prince William. It's like, I mean, what else is he going to do? I mean, there's a reason that Harry is like shaking things up because he's like, look, I don't want to do this. Okay. And I respect that. Um, But I, I get that like a lot of people don't, you know, have that choice. And so what did you begin to do when you were kind of picking up the pieces of the rubble, so to speak? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing I was fortunate that in, um, you know, early 91, I came to America as you know, my wife's Americans so who lived here 
of a sense that that was helpful. But, you know, um, it, I guess with my faith, that was helpful in the sense that and I came to realize, and maybe that's obvious, but God loves us unconditionally. He doesn't need my stuff, my achievements, you know, even despite my stupidity and mistakes, if he wanted it to happen, it would have happened. And so just that sense of, you know, divine, unconditional love, that was certainly a starting point. It helped the fact that I've been blessed with a wonderful wife. We've been married over 30 years, and she also loved me unconditionally. I mean, we weren't out on the streets. Yes, we had a couple billion less, but we weren't <laughs> poverty stricken. Yeah. You know, I'm not somebody that's ever been attracted by money. It's just never been something that's, I'm not against it, but it's not something that's vitally important to me. So, you know, um, that was huge. And then we started having young kids in the nineties and they just knew me as dad. They didn't know anything about family media business. And it just was irrelevant. So that, that was huge. And then I began finding things to do that more fit my skills. I started work at an aviation services company in Maryland, where we live doing business and financial analysis. And I'm analytical strategic. From there, I kind of uh, heard about executive coaching and began to realize I actually like asking questions and I'm a certified executive coach. I mean, there was a series of baby steps that began to rebuild my self-esteem, but it you know, it took, it took a while and really to understand it's okay to have my own purpose. It's okay to, and have that purpose be in line with my gifting. And so now what I do is a much better fit. I'm a sort of reflective advisor. So in writing and interviewing, podcasting, coaching that I've done over the years is so much of a better fit, but it, it took a lot of years and a lot of baby steps and support from my family, from, you know, church. I mean, just, uh, but it, you know, sometimes a bounce back, really does a bounce back happen overnight. At least for me, it took, it took many years to claw my self-esteem back kind of thing. And, you know, it's, and when you go, I mean, I'm sure a lot of listeners have gone through setbacks and failures, not like that pain never completely goes away. There's always a scab, you know? Yeah. Uh, so occasionally, like a few weeks ago, as I mentioned, got a book coming out with some Australian newspaper and the sort of columnist said, oh, Warwick's got a, uh, you know, there's a, you can get a free chapter online and all that. So they'd read something and they said, oh, Warwick's got a book coming out um, and he'll tell you all about his story for a price. It's like, who's, who sells a book for nothing? It's like, oh my hello. And, and then there was stuff like, and Warwick talks about his failures. Well, he's an expert on that, isn't he? So it's like, really? Can't you give me a break? I mean, some of these people, they may not have been born then or they were young, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, you know, am I bulletproof? No. Did, was that, did that hurt? Yes. But I'm in a much better place. But it's not like you completely get over something like that without any scars or scabs. You learn to deal with it, but it's unrealistic to say, oh, yes, I don't have even a smidgen of pain or, yeah. you know. Yeah. I love what you brought up you know, also as a, a, a person of faith myself and, you know, somebody who in a, obviously very different, but who has who's gone through, I've gone through my own stuff in my life that I've had to process and deal with. And, you know, there, there was a lot of times in my life where I felt like I was having to achieve in order to receive love and approval, mm -hmm. whether it would be from others or from God or whatever. I felt like I had to work my way. And, you know, while, you know, lines on a resume and degrees are not bad, they are, you know, they don't define us. And right. I love how you talked about you had this realization and it kind of took you in so many ways losing everything in order to gain everything and to gain that perspective of I don't have to earn 
God's love. I don't have to earn God's approval. You know, at the end of the day, my identity is in Christ and my identity mm-hmm. is in who I am as a son, as a daughter of the creator. And, um, and that for so many people is sometimes the hardest step. And especially for people who maybe are tiptoeing in, you know, around the faith world, and maybe they're just not sure what they believe. And because our culture tells us, well, we have to have this degree, you have to go to this college, you have to have this job, you need to make this much money, you need to have, you know, 2.5 kids and all, you know what I mean? Like all of the things that society tells us we need to have when God is just like, nope, I just want your heart. And for so many people, they cannot wrap their mind around that. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. was that like for you getting to that point of really comprehending, understanding, truly looking for your identity in who you were created to be and not who you were, what you were created to do? Boy, that's a great question. I mean, it's, it took years. I mean, obviously, a lot of, there's a lot of great scriptures. I mean, one, I think it's First John 2, 19, something like, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Mm. It's the sense that it's not about the world's agenda or other people's agenda. It's a bit like exercise or weeding for that matter. You just got to keep on it because those thoughts will creep up like, oh, I am what I do or I am what I achieve. And most people, their self-esteem is in money, in perfection. It's uh, maybe, I know you mentioned you have young kids. It's like, you know, gee, how come other people's kids are perfect? And, you know, mine are not. And, you know, what's the problem there? And you know, there's always the comparison, competitive game. It's funny. I remember my, uh, I have a sister 10 years older than me who has four daughters. And her first daughter was just, you know, read a book by herself. And it was like, you know, what's the problem with these other mothers? This parenting thing's easy, right? Well, what's the deal? <laughs> well, then she had daughter number two that was radically different. She was more rebellious. And in her younger years, just, I don't know, uh, a lot of now she's a wonderful, I mean, she's a wonderful person, a family therapist, but it's like, whether it's being a young mother or a businessman or woman, there's, there's this tendency to compare yourself to the other guy, mm-hmm. the other woman. And, you know, that whole comparison game, it's like just, and it sounds a bit like self-help, but be your best self, just be who you are. It's not about achievements. I mean, I, I try and do my level best at whatever I do, but yet I'm not defined by, you know, what I do, or even like with the book coming out, I even told my publisher, who fortunately is a person of faith, is I don't really care whether it sells one book or 10,000. That's not relevant to me. I just want to be faithful to, from my perspective, what God called me to do, and the outcome's up to Him. Yeah. It's just, I'm, I'm trying to wean my self-esteem off of success and achievements. I mean, I went to Oxford Harvard Business School, but I'm proud of that, but it doesn't make me a better person than anybody else. It's just a different path yeah. that I went through in large part to because of the whole family business thing. So yeah. it's not a one and done. It's, it's like exercise. You just kind of keep at it when you start feeling bad about yourself because you're not as good as the other mother as the other business person. It's not a comparison. Yeah. You know, you, you know, your self-esteem isn't, you know, about, you know, how good a meal you cooked or how perfect your house is or how successful your business is. I mean, it's, I know that's easy to say, but I'm sure we all know people, including ourselves. And it's like, oh my gosh, I don't measure up. 
I'm not as good, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take a quick break from my chat with Warwick to thank another partner of the show, and that is Demain. And I am such a huge fan of this incredible ethical fashion brand. I personally love their crossover sandals. They are so comfortable, perfect for spring, summer, really any time of year where you want to wear some sandals. And I actually have the founder with me, Julie Billingham, and she is just incredible. She's going to share with you her favorite Demat product. Oh, Molly, thank you so much for having us. It is such an honor to partner with you and just have the ability to share our line with some of your followers, people that we know care about who made their products and how they were made. It's funny that you love our sandals because of course it's our signature product. And you know, when I was in Haiti 11 years ago and we were working with the Haitian people to figure out a product that we could really make that would stand out, that would be something really wonderful for the global community. Combining genuine leather with repurposed tires, I mean, that was it. And so my favorite um, sandal that we make is actually the hand-painted slide. And it's my favorite because we partnered with some artists on the on the streets of Haiti, Emmanuel and his team, and they literally hand paint a piece of leather, a gorgeous piece of leather, and it's strapped onto a genuine leather um, upper and then a tire sole bottom. I mean, to me, it's just the most perfect footwear you could own. So that's my favorite products. They are beautiful and so incredible. And so if you are listening and want to snag your own pair of Demas sandals, you can do so at D-E-U-X-M-A-I-N com and use the promo code Molly and that will get you 15% off your order. Now back to my conversation with Warwick Fairfax. I want to talk about the book because obviously this is so much of your story and you should uh, get paid to write a book <laughs> because writing a book is a lot of work and oh, that people yeah. like that just make me roll my eyes. Um, so Crucible Leadership, embrace your trials to lead a life of significance. Talk about, uh, you know, who is this book for and what was your hope in writing it? Yeah, I mean, it's really, obviously I grew up in a very large business, but it's for leaders at all levels, from the boardroom, CEOs, to community leaders. You know, maybe there's somebody that wants to um, clean up the park in their local neighborhood to make it safe for kids. I mean, it's leaders at all levels. And in particular, when you've gone through a crucible, a setback or failure, it doesn't define you. Your worst day does not define you. Yeah. And often, a mission in life, not always, but often it comes out of our crucible. I mean, we have our own podcast. We've had people who've been, uh, you know, physically injured, like a Navy SEAL that was injured in a parachuting accident. We've had victims of abuse. We've had people of all backgrounds, races, nationalities. And the theme is always, it's the same as you're not defined by your worst day or the worst thing that happened to you. So what we try to do is, in a sense, empower people to help figure out their own purpose. And we, we share stories from my story, obviously, family members, uh, people from history, uh, faith, inspiration. And, you know, what are some of the building blocks of getting beyond a crucible? And, you know, it's typically, uh, you know, there may be lessons in your crucible. There may be a vision that comes out of the pain you've, you've been through, that whole aphorism, pain for a purpose. It's living a light of your design. From my perspective, God doesn't make mistakes. If he designed you artistically or mathematically or in business or the arts, that's not a mistake. Mm. So use that. Don't, don't fight your inherent gifting or wiring. It's not wrong whether you're an extrovert, introvert. It's all good. You know, just try to figure out, okay, what's a vision that I'm passionate about that will help serve the world that comes out of who I am and what I believe and my values and 
so that's really what it's about. It's it's just it's for leaders at all levels. And, you know, it's easy to say what happens if I don't have a setback or failure. Well, live a few more years and yeah, you, you probably will find out. You know, it's life is hard. And sometimes it can be just in high school. Maybe you didn't make the team or, you know, you didn't make uh you know the uh, the choir i mean it sounds silly but for decades later but as a high school kid that can be devastating mm-hmm. you know so yeah just how do you bounce back from those circumstances and not be defined by your worst day mm, yeah the other thing i think and i don't know i'm I'm sure I don't know if this is intentional or unintentional. I think the other thing that I really have gleaned from your message and just in the reading I've done about you and the you know looking at your book and is so much of you know again kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with our society tells us that we have to have this you know the CV that just has all of these mm-hmm. things and you have to have it all figured out by like age thirty and it's like mm-hmm. thirty is this magical number, magical age where you just have it all figured out and you're just kind of riding high the rest of your life. And so many people then sometimes find themselves at 35, 36, 40, 45. And they're like, well, I haven't amounted to anything or I haven't done all the things I thought I was going to do or I'm not successful yet or whatever that means. And I think so much of what I've gleaned from your messages, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter where you are in your career. You can start over. You can still do what you were called to do at whatever age you've been called to do it. And um, I don't know if that was intentional or if that's something you have consciously thought about. Yeah, I mean, it's over time, I have thought have thought a lot about it. I mean, it's easy for me to say, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if I my book was coming out 20 years ago? But you know, I wasn't ready then. I, I didn't want to talk about my story. It was too painful. But you know, yeah, I mean, I have a 30 year old son and a daughter and a younger son in their 20s. And, you know, we have all these conversations because they're in that time of life. And you know, I try to tell them that, life has a habit of evolving. I mean, you know, you try to make the best choice for today, but, you know, there's no way I would have thought 20 years ago, I'd be doing this. Uh, you know, if you said, you think you could have some perspective on leadership, I would have said, I can't, couldn't lead my way out of a paper bag. Me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? What do I have to offer about leadership? Nothing. And so, you know, there are some people that know they want to be a, I don't know, concert violinist at age five. Well, great. But most of us are not like that, you know, and you just trust the process. Uh, sounds a bit self-help, but trust yourself, trust those close friends around you. So long as you're going in an area that makes sense in line with your passion and values and gifting, it doesn't mean it's a forever job or forever career, but, you know, there'll be opportunities and flexion points and you'll go, huh, that makes sense. Like for me, a big inflection point is I began to coach in the 2000s and um a pastor of my church you know we go to like a 2000 some evangelical church where i'm an elder in maryland and my pastor said you know warwick i'd love you to give like a 10-minute version of your story because i think it might help people as somehow sermon illustration and so i did and people weeks months afterwards said well warwick your story really helped me i said well i don't think there are that many ex-media moguls in the congregation how could my story help anybody else it's not like some other horrific thing, illness that sadly a lot of people have gone through, but somehow by being honest, vulnerable, talking about since it's a church, what I felt maybe the lessons God had for me, 
Uh, so that that one speech led me to think, if I can write a book to help people, now that's worth the pain of writing about some of my stupidest decisions. So how was I to know that day in 2008 was going to come? Yeah, There's no way I could have forecast that. And no way, if you'd asked me two years before, do you think you'll write a book? Not seeing it. It's too painful. Yeah, I don't want to write a book. Oh, I was right. They were wrong. It's self-serving. So, you know, just trust yourself, trust the path and this will, nobody wants to hear this, but be patient. Yeah. You know, your, your forever career may never happen, mm. but you don't know what you're going to be doing one year, two years, let alone 10 or 20 years. Just, but just trust yourself. So long as you're following your gifting in a path you believe in, just trust that, you know? Mm. Man, that's so good. That's so good. Uh, well, Warwick, uh, Warwick, 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 <laughs> Warwick. I, uh, I know. I'm, I'm working on my Australian pronunciation. <laughs> Warwick. Uh, I can't do it. Um, uh, that was pretty good. I know. Warwick. Uh, <laughs> see, we're trying. We're trying here. Um, all right, but before we get to the get to know you round, uh, you know, what's obviously you're promoting the book, you're traveling and and kind of talking about it. You're doing your podcast. What's on the horizon for you at the end of this year? Well, really, uh, as you say, my focus is just October 19, getting the book out. But, you know, really, you know, talking in different formats, whether it's live or virtually and just, um, you know, I'm really focused on on the message is just helping people bounce back from setbacks and failures and, you know, just live a purpose that they're off the charts passionate about. To me, it's, it's all about the message and helping people, whether that's one or more than one. So um, kind of, yeah, that's really my focus. And uh, yeah, it's just wonderful to be able to do that. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Kinda what I'm doing. Well, how can people best connect with you? Well, uh, my website is crucibleleadership.com. Um, on Facebook, you can look me up at Crucible Leadership. On uh, LinkedIn, it's Warwick Fairfax and Warwick with the silent W. Um, <laughs> so th- those are the ones. So between my website and then I have uh, a podcast, Beyond the Crucible, which talks to people about how they bounce back from setbacks and failures. We typically have a, a one every week. So those are probably the main ways. Awesome. All right, Warwick, now is the portion of the show where we transition just a little bit and ask some fun <laughs> get to know you questions. Sure. So are you ready for the get to know you round? Absolutely. All right. Question number one. What was your favorite TV show to watch when you were growing up? Wow. Well, you know, we got a lot of American uh, shows. So Gilligan's Island, Get Smart. But here's one one that listeners won't know. Uh, There was an Australian version of Lassie called Skippy. And it was all about Skippy, the bush kangaroo. And so it was a boy and his kangaroo. His dad was a park ranger, so therefore it all made sense. Yeah, it all made sense. Skippy, the kangaroo. So you'd have to be a strain of a certain vintage to remember that. There you go. I love it. Well, my kids um, are avid Bluey watchers. And Bluey is an Australian kid's cartoon and they watch bluey all the live long day so all day long i hit i hit bingo with bluey and uh so yeah all day long they love it that's awesome (laughs) it is and probably all the parents listening are like yep my kids watch bluey too it is like taken over uh yeah so you watched american kids shows growing up my kids watch australian kids shows growing up so you know all right if you had to eat the same meal Every night for the rest of your life, what would it be? Well, at least growing up, I used to, it's going to sound a bit weird, but I've always loved artichokes. 
and uh, cheesecake. So I used to say if I was stranded on a desert island, so long as I could have artichoke and cheesecake, I think my <laughs> tastes have broadened since then. But, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a normal background. Not everybody has artichokes growing up. I mean, it's, you know, it's not that hard. You just steam it. Uh, but, uh, you yeah, know, we, we didn't eat, uh, we ate, uh, you know, uh, well, let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there something like, what do you miss most about living in Australia? Well, obviously the climate's fantastic people. I mean, outside of my particular upbringing, you know, your average Australian is very down to earth, uh, doesn't put up with arrogance and all, but it's funny, Australians are all sports fanatics. So like at the Olympics, uh, I'm a dual citizen. So I, I was cheering for both. So yeah. uh, got a bit conflicted, but uh, like a lot of Australians, I'm a big uh, cricket fan. So uh so much so that there's actually an obscure cricket station you can get on most cable systems, Willow Cricket. Any cricket fans out there, <laughs> uh, you can get you can get there. So, uh, but yeah, I, I do miss being able to watch that a bit uh, more. But, you know, we get back every couple of years. Yeah. Normally, it's Normal. been a while with COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but one day we have to get back. <laughs> one day you'll get you'll get back. All right. So inevitably, when the movie is made about your life, who uh -huh. do you want to play you in that movie? <laughs> Golly, that is a good uh, question. Boy, I don't know. I mean, this, as I told my wife, there's a lot of good Australian actors out there right Isn't now. Isn't Robert Downey Russell, Jr.? No, Russell no, Crowe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Russell Crowe, uh, Hugh Jackman. You got, is it uh, Chris and Liam Hemsworth? You know, that one, is it, is it Chris Hemsworth, the one who played Thor? I forget which yeah, one it is. Yeah, so, it's uh, one of the Hemsworths. <laughs> that, that wouldn't be bad, I suppose. But, uh, you know, any any Australian act would be good. Uh, yeah. yeah, you do have like a very, like a Rolodex of really good ones. So yeah. I remember the first time I found out Hugh Jackman was because, I, I mean, he's never Australian in any of the movies that I've seen him right. in. Exactly. And so I think he was like on Jimmy Fallon or something. And yeah, I yeah. like, and he's, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Hugh Jackman's Australian? How did I not know this? Well, it's like, you know, Nicole Kidman. Um, yeah. You know, there's, uh, there's, there's so many, but uh, yeah. And then indeed. it's always, I'm always thrown <laughs> off because like so many times they don't play or they, they, you know, have yeah. a different accent in their movies. And then you see them on some, you know, media interview <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what does not compute? This is not the same person. <laughs> exactly. Right. I love it. I love it. Um, what is a dream that you have yet to achieve? Wow. What an interesting question. You know, um, honestly, I don't really have any. I mean, I'm not focused on the future in that sense. I mean, I, you know, like I'm a strategic planner, so I tend to think about a lot of things, but it's more just <laughs> living now, being faithful to from my perspective, what God has put on my heart to, um, you know, be the best, obviously, writer, uh, talk about all these ideas, but also the best, you know, husband, father I can be, you know, one is not, you know, all of those things uh, are important to me. Uh, so just being faithful to that and enjoy the path and be grateful for all of the blessings that God has given me and just really have this sense of gratitude. So I don't really have this sense of, oh, I want to achieve A or B. It's, I'm not really, or do this or that. It's, it's not really where I'm at. I, I just want to be grateful for now, mm. if you will. Yeah. Well, that's great. And then my last question is the question I ask all my guests, and that is, uh, Warwick, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? 
you know, I guess be faithful to your own inner beliefs, you know, your, your purpose has got to be, you know, whatever faith, religion, philosophical perspective, and you want to treat other people the way you would like to be treated. So yes, we talk a lot about success and significance. So yes, being successful, if you're not successful, it's hard to pay the payroll. But, you know, running a business with purpose has got to be more than market share and profit figures, all of which are important. It's got to have creating a company that serves a higher purpose in which your employees feel like it's as much their company as yours. It's a shared mission, shared purpose. And as you're trying to achieve those goals, it's not at the expense of people. You know, I love what uh, somebody told me in the U.S. Army. They talk about uh, mission first, people always. And I love that expression. In other words, yes, mission's important, but you want to care and treasure your people along the way. It's not, uh, it's, it's a both and. So, yeah, it's probably a bit about a business of purpose. It's got to be more than just dollars and cents. It's got to fulfill a higher purpose. You and your team can feel like, you know what, I'm glad I'm coming to work today because what we do, it matters in yeah. some small way or more than that. In some small way, it's helping to make the world a better place. Mm. So, yeah. So good. Warwick, thank you so much for being here. This has been fantastic. And thank you for uh, just your willingness to share your story and how it is impacting others, even if other people weren't, you know, billion dollar media moguls. Uh, But truly, thank you for all you do. And uh, thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Molly. Very much appreciate it. Friend, I would love to know what you loved about this episode or something that you learned. Find me on social media. I'm at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast when you're sharing the show with a friend. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to check out the archives for past shows featuring so many incredible entrepreneurs, business owners, community leaders who are changing the world. If you are a regular listener of the show, Thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for tuning in week in and week out. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Overcast, Stitcher, basically wherever you get your podcasts. Click that subscribe or follow button. To click that button means you will never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to just leave a review? Would you take a moment to maybe share one of your favorite episodes with a friend? Leaving a review, sharing the show with a friend. It is totally free for you and it is the biggest help for me in the entire world. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. It just also helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. As always, this show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.